Yo, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the newest episode of The Pixelist, the podcast where we like to talk about all the nerdy things we enjoy. I'm Will. That's Blake. Together, we make The Pixelist, kind of like Captain America. Wait, Planet. Captain Planet. Captain Planet. Let's, let's start over. But... I didn't know if the reference was going to be, I didn't know if we were going to go like more tangible reference or if we we're going to be like, you know, we're the Gohan and Trunks to, <laughs> oh. you know, your fusion. And you'll okay. be like, hey. There'd be that one person who'd be like, I know that reference. That would actually be kind of a cl- clever because the Goten and Trunks, because Laura Bailey voiced Kid Trunks. And so there would be like layers to that. But no, as it, I knew Captain America was wrong before I even said it, but I, w- I couldn't stop. Yeah, anyway, this is there. This has become a weird intro, but hello. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing today, man? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I got my coffee. It's bright and early on a Monday morning. I'm very proud of us for recording this episode, not on a Thursday. <laughs> Last we're making, minute. Feels we're like we're progress. getting back on schedule. Feels like we're yeah. getting back on schedule. Um, naturally, I'm sure next week we'll record on Thursday and be like, nope, we, <laughs> we tried. <laughs> we yeah. But um, hello and t- hello to all you guys who are watching. Thanks for checking out our channel. We so appreciate it. Hope you're enjoying your coffee or whatever you're drinking right now. My man, Will, how are you doing this morning? I'm good, man. I, uh, I'm i excited to talk Critical Role. I'm excited. We don't have an episode this week, but I'm really excited for this week's Critical Role um, because it's the episode with Stephen Colbert that Matt is DMing. And uh, come to find out, a few of the cast is going to be there as well. So I think that'll be really fun. And, you know, maybe this inches us a step closer to Colbert maybe appearing on Critical Role, which would be crazy. Oh my gosh, that'd be insane. I was just talking to someone about this the other day. We were talking, it was our D&D table that we that my my group does. And um, for those who haven't followed the podcast when I've mentioned it, it's a table of seven people and everyone's brand new to D&D except for one person. Um, and so I was talking with that guy and then some other people this, this last session and people were like, yeah, it feels like DD's popping up more and more. And then my buddy was like, yeah, like now D&D is like at its cultural height right now of people knowing about it, talking about it. And so I think Stephen Colbert could be an, an additional like inch towards, um, I don't want to say mainstream adoption. It's already adopted. But um, I guess, I guess you know, there was such a stigma for so long about it, like it being like a more normal thing. It's kind of like esports, like when esports was on ESPN and people were like, what is this? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of the same vein I think of it as. Yeah, I agree. And definitely Colbert's a big personality. Yeah, like a lot of exposure as well. I remember, you know, Joe, I always mispronounce his name, Joe Maginello. Maginello. Do you know what I'm talking about? Super buff, ripped guy. He's married to Sofia Vergara. He was. Uh, um, I'm over two now. He was in True Blood. Did you ever watch that show? Oh, for three. <laughs> and then this, you're not going to get this one probably because it was like a cameo role. But he was in the. <laughs> like, oh, got that one. <laughs> he was in the the Justice League. Did you see that movie? Nope. <laughs> he was going to be Deathstroke. Uh, you know that nope. Batman nope. DC villain? <laughs> no, <Nope>. sorry. <laughs> anyway, he's so let's like, like all things nerdy except for. Well, wait, did you see stuff? Magic Mike? Nope. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, 
Oh you should Google God. him later. He's like stereotypical, yeah. like you'd think he was a bodybuilder, like absolutely shredded, like 10 on the 10 uh, handsome scale. I've never before seen this person in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, big, you know, he's an actor and he's a huge D&D nerd. Again, married to Sofia Vergara. If you know who that is, she's like a Victoria's Secret supermodel. Um, she's in Modern Family. She's the 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 grandpa's wife the, oh like yeah. a hot young wife yeah 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 right okay cool so he's married to her anyway this long story short he's like a super D nerd he actually guessed it on critical world during campaign one uh where was i even going this um oh yeah he was on colbert one time and they talked D D, and that was really fun um but anyway so yeah colbert kind of already is i'm not gonna say carrying the torch for D D, but he's you know he's kind of the Oh. A mainstream nerd. Oh, I've seen him before. He's Arkin the Cruel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was from Cruel. I've seen some clips with him. Okay, yeah. Not really knowing much what was going on, but just a couple of clips with him at the table. Yeah, um, definitely don't yeah, yeah. watch those <laughs> again. I, saw, I did see one really <laughs> huge gonna... spoiler, and I was like, ah, why am I on this YouTube video? But you yeah, know me. I I'm assuming myself. I know what the spoiler was if it was yeah. involving him, but yeah. I was um, going to say it was at the end of the campaign, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so that was a very long anecdote. But basically, yeah, Colbert, big. Uh, All that big, to say, Stephen Colbert. And oh. kind of on that note, so there's no episode proper next week. Um, so I was going to run this by you. Maybe we do EXU this next week, that two part special. We could. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, discuss the that. Only- yeah, we, we have to stop saying we're going to do something, by the way. We just need to drop it on our subscribers and be like, here it is. <laughs> yeah. The only thing about EXU is, um, so I've mentioned this for our listeners. My wife had never seen done D&D before. She's part of my campaign now. But she that came after watching EXU with me. So we watched all of EXU together. Um, all that to say, I watched the first half of the first one. And then I let her know, I was like, yeah, that was awesome. And she was like, oh, hang on, hang on. Like, we got to watch this together, just like we did the previous ones. So the only caveat being we're, we do need to watch that together. Um, yeah, that's fair. And we have, we have children that yeah. are all over the place. So, so tentatively, yes. Okay. Well, we'll get to it at some point. And since yeah. we effectively have, even to get it in this window, it's like we have like two weeks. So... Yeah, you okay. know, because yeah. we could even do it Thursday. I want to of- do that. I want to do that. I want to do our um, summary of the twenty episodes, and I want to do our favorite fan theories because yeah. that's when I've been reading, been reading, being like, "Oh, I really like that theory." Um, and they they keep coming. I mean, our listeners keep dropping really cool ideas and thoughts, and so, yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and perhaps most importantly, Witcher season two. That's, oh my gosh! That <laughs> wasn't going to bring it back coming down that, the pipeline. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to find like a summary by the time <laughs> we record it. What happened in the show? I already all would I need remember, one. All I remember is the planes colliding or something. I can't remember. <laughs> I thought you meant like airplanes. I was like, what are you talking no, about? <laughs> like the demon plane and like the earth plane. Or yeah, something. the conjunction of the spheres. Yes, the conjunction. Thank you. The the spheres. Right. <laughs> Um, which just, oddly just enough, suit your, that's suit your roots, guys. That's kind of what's maybe happening in Critical Role. So that's kind of a weird coincidence. Yeah, yeah that's actually very true. Um, it's funny you say that. So um, speaking of Critical Role, we've, <laughs> we've really rambled for a while now, and people who are here for the first time are like, "What is this channel?" 
let's let's get into talking about Critical Role this episode. Episode this was 20, right? 21. 21, just kidding. Episode 21. Um what we typically do guys when we do when we talk about Critical Role is we do a brief recap. Uh typically these are 4-hour episodes and so our recaps about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, we talk about, hey, this is what happened. These were the big points that happened. And then in about 15 minutes from now, we do a full breakdown reaction. So if you're checking out just the YouTube video, that's only the replay discussion or the uh, the, the summary of what happened. Uh, in the link below, there's a link to the entire video, and you can check that out as well. But Will, why don't you kick us off on what happened in episode 21 of Campaign 3 of Critical Role? Absolutely. So... We pick up um, with the party basically launching into this encounter with these clay golems that sprang up around the earring, potentially this final line of defense. Um, however, one thing of note is that Ashley Johnson is absent this week. Uh, we are told that she has asymptomatic COVID. Um, so Laura actually will be playing Fern. Um, so everyone rolls initiative and basically combat begins. Uh, but first things first, Orem is still like, trying to get this hearing. So he focuses on attacking the case, um, which they had started to do in the previous episode. Excuse me. Um, but he's still not making very much progress at all. So Laudna takes the rock chisel out of her hair and runs up and plants it into like this small crack that has formed in the case. And basically it's like Ashton, you know, like hit my chisel to kind of hopefully split this thing wide open. So Ashton runs up, smacks it i think smacks it twice and it basically does like slam the rock chisel in and kind of break open the case a bit like it finally kind of shows some damage and they're like okay we're finally getting somewhere and uh Lana actually had to hold that in place uh while ashton did that so once that was finished you know she kind of tries to scurry away and these golems now take their reactions to um have opportunity attacks on her and they just pummel her i think obliterate her (laughs) yeah matt describes it as like her getting like flung across the room like skidding across the floor and she actually falls unconscious uh so these things definitely are you know no (laughs) walk in the park Um, it was like 40 or 50 or more points i think they each hit for like 20 points of damage yeah they both got double swings so it was pretty insane it was brutal um so fern again played by ashley or sorry excuse me played by laura this session uh cures wounds on laudna to get her back up and she summons mister and kind of is positioning him in different parts of the room um chetney however uses his attacks to finish smashing the case and he grabs the earring and the rock chisel and is like let's get the hell out of here so Imogen uses command and tells the golems to grovel and both actually fail their saves, which they have advantage. So this was pretty crazy. And they both basically bow before her, causing them to be like functionally prone for the next round. So because of that, Ashton unleashes on one and he like causes a crater to form in its skin, but he notices that it like basically starts to reform. So they like have some sort of healing mechanic, um, at least to my understanding. Uh, So they're like, yeah, this is pretty dangerous. So they're all like, let's probably get out of here. So they're all trying to flee back into the previous room where there was the lion statue and the tiles on the ground that will trigger some sort of trap that they had, you know, thus far avoided. 
So they're trying to get in the room, but basically FCG and Fern are kind of caught between a rock and a hard place and unable to um, get to safety. So FCG tries to grappling hook basically over the golems to make it to safety, but he fails. And uh, his grappling hook basically just lands in the other room. So Chetney grabs his grappling hook and basically like fireman like tugs him to like fling FCG and like catches him on his back basically. And then like (laughs) leaps himself into the other room and like lands on top of the lion statue. And I think he rolled, I don't know if it was like a natural 20, but yeah, it was up there for sure. Yeah. It was like an insane acrobatics. And I think Matt was like, okay, so you're on a lion on a werewolf (laughs) and it it was funny. (laughs) Um, so then Fern is, I think she actually does roll a natural 20 to just barely avoid like getting grabbed by the golems as she does make her way to the rest of the party as well. So then they're like, okay, let's peace on out of here. So they go for the door and it won't budge and come to find out the verdict. The other group has used Bell's Hell's immovable rod against them and has essentially locked them in this room. So now the party's freaking out because they like, did not expect this. They've got the golems here. They're in the trapped room and they're basically just locked in here. This, so this was like the best moment of the episode where they were like, let's get out, let's get out, let's get out. And then they realized they couldn't. And Matt just smiled and Travis was like, <laughs> it was so good. It really was amazing. And so they're freaking out and Imogen basically makes the first move and she missy steps back across the room past the golems to the other side of the earring chamber where there's there's more rooms that they haven't checked out. So she goes back there, opens a door. And in this room, there is another lion statue. So presumably more trapped tiles. And so she's like, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to look, I'm going to use my action to look for the trapped tiles in this room, but she rolls poorly and basically doesn't see anything. So while this is happening, the rest of the party is like, I guess we have to deal with these golems. And so they start attacking the golems. Um, But while this is happening, Laudna gets out the magnets that they purchased and gives some to FCG. And he fashions, or not really fashions, he just uses the magnets to get the the earring and then like magnetizes that to the roof of his mouth, kind of like to hide it from the verdict and make sure that they can get it out out of here safely, hopefully. So he does that. They keep working on the golems. They eventually uh, are able to take both of them out. It is a rough fight, though. Um, nothing too crazy mechanically or, you know, any anybody didn't pull any insano moves or anything. Just, you know, typical attacks and eventually get them down. So then they're they're pretty worn out at this point. And the verdict is, you know, breathing down their necks. They clearly have locked them in that other room. So they're close. So they're like, what do we do? So they decide to go in one of these adjacent rooms um, from the earring chamber and basically close the door behind them and just kind of regroup, take a rest and try to figure out their next move. And um, Imogen basically comes to the realization that, hey, I can activate those trapped tiles from in here using my telekinesis. So how about we just chill in this room, like effectively try to take a short rest. And if I hear them, come into that room i'll trigger the trap and they're like okay i mean that works for us (laughs) and so they start their short rest and about 10 minutes in they hear the verdict enter the adjacent room so imogen activates the trap and all they can hear is like the stone on stone of that statue moving and then like the blaze of fire 
and they can hear screams and basically heat <laughs> emanating from the door. Oh my and then the screams go silent. And uh oh, excuse me. So while that's happening, Chetney and Orum like brace the door because the verdict are trying to get through to get out of this trap, but they successfully hold the door shut so that they are stuck in there. Um so the screams go silent. Um and then Imogen triggers the trap again. <laughs> and so now there's more screaming and the door is actually beginning to catch fire. The screaming stops again and they hear uh, Severus is down, called out from the other side. So then they wait a bit and they kind of hear from the other room what seems to be them dragging or tossing the unconscious person out of the room. And once that happens, Imogen triggers the trap a third time and it's just you know, more hellfire again. And then there's silence. Um, so they wait a, a tick and then Orem opens the door and it just falls off its hinges and inside there's no bodies. And the entire room is just like scorched earth. It's, this is clearly the first time these uh, traps have ever been sprung because you can see the char everywhere. And uh, there is, the table's on fire in the room and there's like this streak of um, what'd you call it? Like soot that has yeah. been dragged across the floor. And clearly it's been the verdict dragging uh, like an additional body out of this room. So the party basically kind of, you know, investigates further and they come to find in the next room, uh, Hutchin, the dragonborn and the goblin of the verdict are both unconscious with the furball, I think kind of looking over them and two other members of the verdict are hiding in this room yet to be revealed. Um, but FCG comes in and is like, Hey, uh, I'm here to help uh, cast spare the dying on both of the unconscious people. And they're basically like, let's kind of have a peace treaty right now. Let's have a truce. Um, this place is messed up. I think all of us got more than we bargained for. And, you know, like, let's just, you know, peace treaty. Um, and since FCG is actually, you know, spare the dying and i think fern actually cure wounds on hutchin the verdict seemed to you know believe them and so there is a bit of peace and they uh, the verdict asks <laughs> if the bell's hells were successful and laudna lies and rolls a deception check and says they that they're not yet and so they're like well then why are you leaving and they say we still have stuff to do so it's not entirely sure um we're not it's not entirely clear rather if uh, the verdict believe them, but again, there is this truce happening. And so they're like, okay, you know, we still have some, we're going to take a moment to collect ourselves, but you know, y'all go ahead. So the bells hells exit and now they're in the journal room and they're kind of looking at it to see how it's trapped. And they do seem to find that there is some trap mechanic on it, but Chetney is able to swipe it with a very deft or daft, Deft, deft, uh, uh, sleight of hand. Uh, I think he rolls a twenty-five, which Matt says was the exact DC. Right. So yeah. he snags the journal, and then they keep backtracking. And he looks for his ever-smoking bottle that he threw, but that is gone. And um, they're back in the Hashari Colt room, and Ashton actually takes one of the helmets of the sets right. of armor, and Ora makes a history check, and basically is, you know, oh yeah, you're familiar with the Hashari. They were this this commune around this cult leader. He's very charismatic, but the town was few, decimated. And they dated like a few decades earlier too, which was yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he's basically like, it was just a cautionary tale. Um, 
And then they're, as they're making their way out, um, they're basically reminded of the extra bounty from Hexum that was like, if we sufficiently embarrass him, we can make even more money. And on this note, Ashton is pissed. Uh, Ashton's like, this is more than we bargained for. This is more than we were told. Like, I want to embarrass this guy. Like, let's let's fuck him up. Let's steal some shit, shit. You know, like he's just mad and wants to do something. So they ultimately decide to go back up to the living quarters and see what they can find up there. Um, so they make their way to Hytroka's office and there is a locked drawer that the verdict had tried to get into, but couldn't like, this is a very sophisticated lock and they weren't able to pick it. So Ashton tries and he is able to get it. I, I don't know if it was a natural 20 or just, it was, he, a, it was a crazy high roll. Yeah. It I was, remember that. it was crazy high. And it was like, yeah, you spite lock pick this. And right. <laughs> so he gets in there and basically takes everything inside, which was a stack of papers and these um, glasses. Um, so after they've stolen all of that, they make their way back out of the manor. And I think they exit through that kitchen door um, toward yeah. the back. And then they're like, okay, let's head toward the front and, you know, put an end to this thing. And that's yeah. basically where it goes to break. Yeah. Uh, if you want to take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. So after break, uh, is there waiting for them and is a bit suspicious that, and they're pretty much like, Hey, we have the earring. We did it. And he's like, really? Like, kind of thrown and surprised that this group was successful. Yeah. Uh, sure enough, um, FTG, who's been talking with like a lisp this whole time because of the earring in his mouth, Yeah. you know, kind of overly um, exaggeratively describes going, oh, oh, you know, pulling it out <laughs> and giving it to um, Hydroga. Uh, and then they have basically just a conversation of um, this funny back and forth where um, Hydroga actually says, like, I didn't expect you to be successful guards kill them and everyone's like ah! <laughs> and he's like i'm just kidding i'm just kidding and he's like you know even though i'm disappointed you guys were successful congratulations um actually in kind of like a if you've ever been to like disney world where you like you go on a ride and they snap your picture there was so, kind of like <laughs> that kind of moment where he takes them into the foyer with the two statues with the rugs on it and hydroga's kind of like oh man i have a lot of cleanup to do and basically there's a painting that he points them to that effectively has snapped the party's goofy expressions um, as like the winning party. As, and it's almost sort of like implied like this first annual heist has, you know, here's the winning group. Yeah. Um, but Hydroga clearly plans to use it for like museum marketing, so to speak. Uh, and then the party asks like, what's going to happen to the verdict? And he's like, they will be dealt with. And everyone's <laughs> kind of quiet. And he's like, I'm just joking. I'm joking. We're a museum. You know, it's fine. Um, all that to say, um, the party decides, you know, we were successful. We got it. Let's let's get on out of here. So the party leaves. Uh, and as they've left, the I don't know if you mentioned if you mentioned this, but they had stolen the book from um uh the mage's name. Yeah, Vespin. Vespin Chloris. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they had stolen the helmet, the stack of papers, and they start talking, they're like, should we really go back to our tavern, like our inn, because we don't really want Hydroga to know where we are. And then also we know the verdict was staying there as well. We don't really want them to know where we are. Right. So the party decides, you know what, let's go get our horses at like 3 a.m. Let's just go camp outside of town. Uh, and they do that with pretty relative ease. It's really no big deal. Um, they go out, they camp. Um, in the morning, uh, Imogen does prestidigitation on everyone because everyone just looks wrecked. <laughs> <laughs> um fcg is like hey imogen do you want me to cure your blueness and she's like yeah sure so he cures it 
Um, and then he doubles that with, I'm just going to make sure it worked. And he does detect thoughts and he says, I want to go as deep as I can. Now, if you mm -hmm. remember from previous episodes, they've had sort of like this back and forth, this mind meld, uh, but Imogen resists it, casts a, a 19, beats him out and basically says like, what you doing there, FGG? And even <laughs> then adds on to that, like, don't do that ever again. Have a smiley day. And FGG's like, that's my line. Um, and then this is probably a little bit out of order, um, but he does identify um, the goggles at some point. And they are goggles. Uh, I can't remember what he called them, but basically they allow you to cast Charm Person on the person you're looking at through the goggles. Yeah. Um, he also, on a, at a later day, because the party is eventually going to head back to Drusar, he's going to cast Identify on the stack of papers and realize basically that these papers which by the way are invisible you can't see any print on the text is invisible um and ashen even has this cool moment where he tries to rip it and it doesn't tear and they realize it's enchanted so that's why ftg identifies it um and they realize that it's only susceptible to cold to see the text but we'll come back to that in a second um everyone else is kind of looking at the trinkets they've picked up um uh, Chetney is looking at the um, journal of Vespin Chloris and kind of like eagerly reading it. Lot is kind of over his shoulder, like, what does it say? <laughs> yeah. And as they look more into it, it starts to get a bit, um, Matt calls it derivative. It's kind of like the writing, like the person <laughs> kind of loses. It almost seems like the writer kind of lost interest as they were writing through. And then they start to notice something, the dot, dot, dot. And it's in that moment that they're like, no. And they realize this is not the journal of Vespin Chloris. This is a fake that Hydroga presumably um, crafted himself, wrote himself, and uh, you know, the whole museum's basically a sham. Uh, yeah. Chenny's super disappointed. He throws the journal into a swamp, <laughs> uh, which Laudner re retrieves for um, fun activities when they're bored. Yeah, and he um, even does the rip test, and it does rip. That's right. So that's and like how they rip. know. Yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, otherwise, the party's like, hey, let's let's kind of finish things up. Let's go by Siastani. Let's go to the toy maker shop. Uh, and then let's skip town and get back to Dressar because our mission is done. And they even send a message back to Gianna Hexen saying, hey, we were successful. We did it. And she's like, great job. You did it. So um, Chetney and Orem decide to head to Not Forgotten, the toy maker shop. And because this is where the toy maker previously, the old woman had mentioned a collaborator she had appeared named Oldgar, who Chetney uh, knows of. And so he wants to follow up on that loose end. They go in, they're kind of perusing the shop, and she's like this nice, sweet old lady. And then Chetney starts striking up a conversation. He's like, Where are you from? And she's like, I'm from Uthadurn. And he's like, You ever get back there? And she's like, No, not really. And he's like, You ever met someone named Oltgar? And like the vibe totally changes. Um, she's like, Why do you ask? And Matt talks about how um, it's like this Wild West moment yeah. where like Chetney like reaches down for his chisel. <laughs> and then Matt says that this woman Zadro, it reaches down for her chisel. And it's this very tense moment where um she's like, Are you friend or foe of Oldgar? And he's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a friend of him at all. She's like, that's good. And they don't really gain any new information other than they both sort of simultaneously agree that Oldgar is a terrible person. And that's pretty much that. Um, yeah. In fact, as Chetney's leaving, um, 
Orm's like, what, what the heck was that? What, what was that? Because it was like so awkwardly tense all of a sudden. <laughs> and then Chetney basically is like, Altgar is the worst. You know, he's literally the worst. And talks about how he abandoned like, you know, the woodcrafting profession. And, you know, is basically a big trader for that. Um, the party also decides to check on Astani. Um, and so Astani's like kind of old man wandering, <laughs> like eating bread. <laughs> and... Um, there is this moment where Astani kind of oddly asks, like, oh, are you guys leaving? Orem does an insight check and actually gets a whisper from Matt, something going on there that he picks up from Astani. Yeah, well, I think and it's then, because they weren't going to see him and they were just leaving. And so Matt, like, oh, had Astani, kind of, like, be there and was, like, come and talk yeah, to them. He, yeah, yeah, he was kind of awkwardly waiting on the path, so to speak. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, so Astani actually offers, hey, I'll walk you out of town. Mm -hmm that's kind of what why they're walking together um and in sort of like this hushed like this is keep this between us basically talks about how um if they're going to go check out the omen archive if they're going to go follow that path on what happened to the loomis twins you need to know that the loomis twins had joined this um i'm trying to be the best way to describe it it's like a it's an organization that um invest itself into into um researching and discovering like artifacts and sort of like old ancient history and asani describes it as it's really grown in recent years and it's become something more than just like a hobbyist type function yeah uh, but basically implies that the reason that they were killed is likely because um they had somehow like poked their nose where it didn't belong within this group um and basically says hey if you do head to, to eos uh look for eben kai uh, a professor at the seminary and actually gives them a note that says this will this will vet you guys for her um the party then decides okay let's get out of town let's head on our way and um, they travel pretty much without any issues. This is also when they get the identify on the goggles. It's when they do the identify on the papers to realize that the frost damage shows the font. Uh, so Lana does, uh, you know, frost damage on it, and they start going through the papers. And there's a few different things. One of them is a like purchase order for what seems to be some kind of object, and they realize it was the relic, one of the objects in the museum rooms. Yeah. Uh, which is further evidence that this museum is actually a bunch of duplicates. It's a bunch yeah. of just fake things. Um, so there's that. There's also like random notes where um, Hydroga's clearly been keeping tag tabs on Gianna Hexum, uh, trying to figure out like what's she doing, what are her dealings. Mentions that there are these small boxes that she seems to be picking up on like about a three-month cadence but it's not clear what they are but these are the individual boxes and maddox she mentions that ashton with the nobodies whenever they broke in would have remembered seeing this box before you know getting blitzed in the back of the head um and then also there's this this name that keeps popping up in the notes uh and it's a very particular abbreviation like a codified abbreviation sp.y.sh-n um and basically i think someone maybe it was orem does like a history check and rolls extremely high and the sp like the start of it uh he basically says like you know this to be likely um i think he said spiraling shin yeah um 
He said he didn't know the middle one, the middle initials. Um, and then I don't remember what the last one was either. Um, I don't know if you remember. I took it to mean the entirety of it was spiraling Shin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I think he even said it was like almost like a signature, like a, um, like a notable, like you yeah. would have seen this to know it meant that. Um, other than that, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that happened. Um, um, oh, they do. They do have a discussion as they're getting back to town. They're pretty impressed that the horses are alive. Um, they're like, man, yeah, well, should we? I think someone even jokes like, should we kill it anyway? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's, it's around this time that FCG kind of retorts back like, well, it doesn't really matter. They don't have souls. And there's like this very mini discussion or debate on, you know, do the horses have souls? Like, are they, <laughs> you know? Um, and uh, anyway, it's just it's just a funny conversation i guess um the party does level up to level six and um what else am i missing i think that was that was pretty much it yeah so the party levels up to six they do their hp rolls and that is what happened on episode 21 of campaign three of critical role pop pop yeah so i feel like there was something i missed there at the end but i can't remember uh i don't think so but maybe yeah okay um yeah so yeah uh let's just go ahead and get it out there <laughs> i love the episode i know you probably loved it too <laughs> yeah it was so, it was just fun you know that was uh yeah we got the big conclusion to the heist and uh i mean <laughs> it was touch and go there for a minute i mean especially with i mean uh especially with ashley gone i know that they still had fern but you know it's still kind of tough to be missing you know, a main player during a very dangerous encounter like that. Cause you right. know, I'm sure Laura is not as, not as good Versus. at wielding Fern, you right. know? So, right. To um, you, that's, I will go and say Ashley is like one of my all time favorites, but in Laura's defense, um, Ashley isn't too <laughs> versed in her own <laughs> class. So that's true. Anyway, <laughs> and, that's all uh, to say. Uh, Laura's fern impressions were killing me. They were, oh yeah, everyone's yeah. were really. It was, it was great. You know, it's funny. Like with my joke about her knowing her class last episode, you joked about how like the party is like abysmally unaware of like the lore. Yeah, there were some discussions in here. Maybe it was spiraling Shin, where like it was something where FCG or Sam Regal was like, "Someone tell me what this means. I don't read the comic books." <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. What, like, what is this? Because uh, people were like reacting, and he was like, "What? What is this?" Like, yeah, so. I think he said, "Like, I don't read the comics. What's, <laughs> what mm. is that?" Uh, but yeah, that's my point exactly on how the hell did they all know who Vespin Chloris was? There's definitely something going on there. Um, but yeah, fun episode. Um, and I'm interested. You know, once they left Drusar, it's not as if we thought they'd never go back. But I honestly didn't see them going back this quickly. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and they, I think they even floated the idea of like, do we go to EOS? And I think maybe I'm even just making this up, but I feel like the understood thing was like, that might be a little bit, maybe a little bit long down the road rather than us. It might be too much for us to go straight there. It feels like we have some business interests are still. I feel like there was something like that, but I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I was I, just thinking to myself, I don't know. I know. I mean, they obviously have Drusar, and then what, like, who knows what could happen? from there but it seems like eos is the next the next thing i don't know what the next thing would be if not that um again unless it's just something new that happens to pop up 
maybe some Ultgar stuff. I mean, we'll we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, it'll just be interesting to see kind of... I mean, I guess they've only been gone for a couple weeks, max, but yeah. it'll be interesting to see how those threads have have unfurled in their absence with the whole Treshy and the Shade Mother and just all the yeah. political machinations of Jussar. What, what this was we a get good, from there. This was a good break from Jussar. You know, it, it, and yeah. I mentioned this when we talked about Jussar, like it, it feels weird to leave without like some loose ends wrapped up. And I feel like we, we got that really well for them to be able to leave. Um, but I just, and I said this last episode, it's great when you have quote filler, which it's not fair to call it filler because we have no concept of the entire story. Um, I'm just, I'm just, you know, having For lack of a better quests. word. Yeah. Yeah. Having side quests, I guess, but, um, it still feels full of direction. It still feels really fun to watch. Um, and the whole heist, I mean, we were really excited about it on the front end and in, in hindsight, uh, it, it was really fulfilling to watch and enjoy. And even the party, as they were wrapping up, heading back to Dressar, out of character, they were like, Matt, that was really awesome. That was really fun. Yeah. And even as, again, for lack of a better word, a side quest, we got a lot of interesting stuff because we got a lot of right. potential stuff on Imogen's backstory via the Loomis twins and all of that. Uh, and Orums, I guess. Um, Chetney, obviously, because of Old Car. And then also Ashton with this Hishari armor and just... Um, yeah, there's just lots of interesting seeds that are, you know, being harvested. Was something said about the voice of the Tempest, by the way, this episode or briefly? Uh, um, yeah, what was said? Are you talking about when they were looking at the papers? Yeah. Was there something about like a connection with the voice of the Tempest? Like had the voice of the Tempest done work with the spiraling shin? Is that a person, by the way? Yes. Or is that an organization? Okay. It's a it's a person. Um, okay. So I think so. And again, y'all below correct us if we're wrong here, but I think Oren brought it up because, you know, he was the one that made that check to realize that those initials meant spiraling Shen, right? And I think he said that, I think that spiraling Shen had approached Keyleth with some sort of deal or offer or insert whatever, like they had, they had met for some purpose to maybe negotiate something or something to that effect. And that's why he was familiar with that name. Okay. Interesting. I don't what? think we got any more context. Like even if a deal was made or wasn't made, I think he just said that like there was a deal at some point. So yeah. And what, who, who or what, what's who's spiraling Shin. Okay. So this was a character from campaign one and try to give, you know, without spoilers for anybody that not that these are big ones, but you know, just spoiler policy, gonna try to be vague. Um, but essentially what he is is um a member of this thieves guild, this uh the, the clasp. Uh, we I think we've talked about this before. Um yeah. and at one point during campaign one, he offered Vox Machina um like a deal and uh they turned it down. But that's that's pretty much the only like on screen time he got. But he's essentially like an influential spy master kind of type person, if you will. So, you know, okay. probably trades in secrets and does that type of thing. So kind of makes sense that his name mm -hmm. would be on those papers. Um, but then yeah, what so he would be dealing with Keyleth about is a is an interesting question. 
Yeah. Is it implied that he like uh Hydroga's like his his keeping tabs on Hexum is that through Spiraling Shin, like with his name popping up, like was it correspondence with that person, or was it or was he observing that Gianna Hexum in doing like these shady, you know, backwater illegal trade deals for these boxes was collaborating with Spiraling Shin? So my so I'm trying to parse that together too. So there were three notes, right, that they found. One yeah, was the work, the work order, the which work con- order that confirms that stuff's fake, right. basically. And there was um, the hexam. The notes, yeah, the notes on hexam in the boxes she was receiving. And then the third one was spiraling chin. The third one was just that his abbreviation, his signature, I guess, was popping up thematically like over and over again throughout the papers okay so it wasn't like a third separate note that was the spiraling shin note i don't think so i think i think matt's phrasing was like you keep seeing this popping up like this is the because they were looking for like what stands out he's like you keep seeing this abbreviation so really there were maybe two note two subjects the fake items in gianna hexam yeah i think so um so i think that spiraling shin was maybe the one providing this intel on gianna hexham now was he the one personally spying on her probably not but you know he has a network and perhaps mm-hmm. has just signed off on like you know hytroga maybe hired the clasp or you know i don't know if spiraling shin still works for them necessarily but hired spiraling shin to get this get him this intel and that's why his signature was, you know, on it or whatever. It's my best guess. Yeah, that makes sense to me too. So is is are the clasp are they good, evil, neutral? Uh, I mean, they're, I wouldn't they're not good. They're definitely not good, but I wouldn't know maybe not fair to call them straight evil. They're like kind of like a cartel, you know, they're not doing they're probably you know, trafficking drugs and doing other types of stuff. But, you know, every, every city has a seedy underbelly, I guess. So I don't know. And not to bring in EXU, but, you know, the nameless ones from EXU are kind of like, they're trying to like usurp the clasp and the right. myriad, which were like the two rival gangs for lack of a better word. Um, so, I mean, Probably more evil than good, but I don't know if it's fair to call them completely yeah. evil. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, well, I wondered if the dealing between Spiraling Shin and Keyleth was somehow the connector to the Loomis twins. Because that's been the fuzzy detail is like, how does this character in Taldore link back to these things that are happening in Marquette? Um, and so maybe there is a albeit maybe stretched connection, but maybe that that's at least seems to be the first connection between these two continents and these two parties that we've seen. Um, yeah. I guess or actually to be fair though, you talked about how um the Ashari and Keyleth, like her job is to keep um keep an eye on the conjunction of the, spheres. Uh, yeah, the, the <laughs> elemental planes. I guess um, that's actually the more um obvious connection now i think about it but well it's still a very interesting connection but i guess it's fair like in D D, you know if your player makes a history check you have there has to 
it's nice to come up with a rational reason why they would know that. So it's possible that that was just a throwaway line to explain how Orem knew Spiraling Shen. Like, oh yeah, he and Keyleth talked one time. So yeah. like maybe that's pointing at, oh shit, like what did they talk about? What was the deal? Or maybe it's just, this is the rationalization for why I know this and there is no underlying meaning to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. But def- definitely I'm I'm curious if it is the former, what those two characters would have been talking about. Um, but I mean, I guess, you know, if you're the head of state, you probably, probably got some spy masters you're talking to. Um, yeah. And sort of like, even in a, there's probably a plenty of ends justify the means type situations, you know, for yeah. the good of your people in Taldore and what have you. So, yeah. And I mean, I guess while we're on the notes, let's just talk about, all of that section um it so he was spying on hexam which you know makes sense they're kind of like these rivals right but that is kind of a a a step that maybe is beyond just a normal friendly rivalry to be like tracking someone's every movement yeah you know so i wonder way beyond just like yeah a friendly rivalry like this is a extremely interested person yeah and i wonder if like you know we talked about how the traps in this museum was kind of played off as you know it's all harmless harmless maybe wasn't the word that was used but not like lethal like nobody expected they might die on this this heist and yet that was entirely possible so i wonder if he was trying to kill his rivals teams of people you know like maybe that was his intent to kill the verdict and the uh, bell's hells and yeah i mean the party was i mean ashton specifically was pretty pissed off about it, it was like this is not this isn't what we were told basically like, this is way over the top so yeah you maybe maybe you're right i mean maybe it was you know not just to um you know not just to beat gianna hexam as in like look see you couldn't have steal, stolen it but to also um you know effectively neuter her you know getting yeah. rid of her her troop um yeah i don't know i am very suspicious i mean hydroga definitely played it off and was being you know bantering and you know being silly but um i wouldn't be surprised if there's something nefarious under that that code of humor yeah and kind of on not on that same note but what's interesting is if he wasn't straight up trying to kill them just like for his own selfish purposes but maybe Gianna was also kind of in on it, but that doesn't, that doesn't really check out to me, but I still feel like it's worth positing out there. Um, because there was some line about like when the party were talking to him and they were like, yeah, that was a little bit more intense than you mm-hmm. led on to be. He made some comment about like, yeah, I beefed up the additions after speaking to Gianna. And I just thought that was interesting. Like, did she tell him to, or was he just saying that like, Oh, after they friendly, bantered about it he's like oh god i'm gonna make this even harder i, I kind of treated it as like you know maybe gianna was you know talking trash to them and he was kind of like okay yeah whatever and then like you know behind the scenes it's like yeah. it reminds me of a totally random example but a guy who was doing like a a food challenge at a restaurant and was like talking back and forth at the restaurant and there was all this publicity around it and um was really basically talking smack to the restaurant. And then when he got there, the restaurant had basically like doubled the portion size <laughs> to see if he could actually eat it. And then there was all this drama after the fact because, 
you know, it wasn't even their actual play like they did it. And they're like, yeah, we beefed it up for the, you know, the competition. And, you know, obviously he's really miffed about it. So that, that's kind of where my mind went was, you know, he's talking to John Hexum and she's like, you know, yeah, I got a great party. Like, watch out. And he's like, okay. And then he's, you know, installing all these death traps. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I, I'm that I'm team that as well. I don't feel like if Gianna wanted to off Ashton, this wouldn't be how she'd do it. You know, like if she's had plenty of opportunities to, to deal with him. Like she's given right. him the second chance, you know, so that, that didn't check out to me, but I did think it was a worst. It was at least worth mentioning just cause that was kind of a shady yeah. line. What do you think's in the box? What's in the box? Oh, I don't know. It's, the the part Matt brought up obviously is the most interesting part is that you know Ashton looked in that box during the heist and that's when everything got weird for him and he basically doesn't remember anything else, right? So uh, that just made me question so many things. Like we know that he got at least the story we're told is that he was like blasted from behind by something and then right. took a big spill and out of the window or whatever. Right. So was it something in the box that actually blasted him or was it because he was looking in the box that maybe Gianna or somebody there was like, what the hell are you doing? And blast right. him for looking in it. And does he not remember because of his accident or does he not remember because of something that was in that box? Like, I don't know. It There's Did, we were we told where the box was from. Like where, like, wild you know, cause she got the shipments. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask. So it, we yeah, did. I can't remember if he said it, it was specifically from Wildmount or if he said like shipments for from all over, including Wildmount. Um, I, I don't remember, honestly. I'm trying to look at my notes because, uh, or wait, here I am. I found it. Uh, yeah. Dealings with outside dealers in Wildmount. Okay. Yeah. So, now this is a stretch, but so Wildmount was a a big setting in Campaign Two, and there's some interesting um, magic that basically originates in that area. So I wonder if the, if we're dealing with like some Dunamancy, which is a school of magic, which kind of deals with weird timey wimey and stuff like that. So maybe there's like some weird dunamantic hmm. artifacts in that crate and him opening it like messed things up that's a that's a big old stretch but yeah, okay uh i don't know something clearly is going on with it and it's clearly important but she's seemingly just a middleman right she's just receiving it and then someone else is getting it like from I her think right we don't know i think like hydroga's notes like theory like is almost like you know he's airing his thoughts out on like is and is it like asking the question is hexam a middleman type person oh, yeah, or right. is it going directly to her um and so i think we don't really know that's a great question is is she is she a middleman for someone else or um you know does she have her own because think about it if hydroga has his museum of things that he's collecting i say collecting he's you know forging it seems to make sense that Hexum would have her own things. We know she yeah. was trying to get the golem right. that was stolen from her. Again, was that going to someone else? I don't know, but it seems like she she's a, a collector in her own right, um, though it's not clear what. Right, and she's obviously very wealthy. Right. And influential. Maybe this is 
part of how she has that wealth because she's playing whatever role this is for whoever it is. Right. And then this is, there's no reason to make this connection, but I wondered if it at all was related to the broomstone smuggling that we got the hints of at the very start of the campaign. Um, it didn't seem to be the same because, you know, there was just broomstone smuggled into those larger containers that were in the warehouse or whatever. Yeah. So it doesn't really seem like the same situation, but I think that's my mind's pretty clearly pl- placed that on Armand Treshi, who she hates. Um, but does she really hate him? Does she? Good point. Who knows? But yeah. Yeah. Speaking of hating someone, um, <laughs> Altgar. That was a great scene. <laughs> Bro, that was so good. That was yeah. so good. Matt and Travis both killed it. And it was Orem just being there like the awkward, like, oh, God, my, like, your friend's parents are having an argument yeah. or something. And <laughs> I just, I don't know if we'll ever make it to campaign three being an animated show, but I'm ready for that scene because I think it'll be <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. So um, clearly, I mean, it's funny how she described Olgar previously of like, yeah, it's this guy I used to work with. He bounced, whatever. And then, and yet when Chetney is bringing him up, um, you know, there is a very clear animosity against Olgar for both of them. Mm-hmm. And so it makes me wonder who this fellow is. Um, you know, Chetney's obviously really unhappy <laughs> with Olgar. It actually made me wonder if Olgar was somehow connected to Chetney's transformation um getting bit not necessarily that old guard was responsible for it but you know he it, it could be like knowing chetney that he just is so proud of his craft that when someone who was also in the craft chooses to leave it there's some really hard feelings there i could see <laughs> that but it, it seems more backstory related than that but yeah i don't it, know it seems more serious than that to me as well just because they're both like he's like he is the worst person so i mean if that was just building up to a joke of like he started using metals instead of wood i feel like that would be kind of cheap but um you know i I wouldn't say it's in the realm of impossibility that that's what he's setting up uh but yeah and to take a couple steps back really quick i too was curious and i was wondering if i even miss misinterpreted the earlier episode because to my understanding when uh, I forgot who was there, but whoever came to the toy shop the first time mm-hmm. they were told that some of this stuff was made by a guy who used to work here. Right. Oldgar, Right. 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 So then I was very confused when this conversation with, uh, Chetney and, uh, what, what do you remember her name? Uh, Zadro, I think Zadro, they, you know, she was like, Oh, I used to be from Uthodurn which is where, you know, Chetney was. And presumably that's where Oltgar was at least at some point. And so it seemed like they both like knew Oltgar from then and they both mm-hmm. like fled Oltgar and they hate him now. So it's just weird to me that she would have worked with him here. And like, he used to work here. Like, so yeah. their falling out happened at this toy store. Whereas Chetney's falling out with him happened back in Uthodurn. Yeah, I mean, I I could see it a couple of ways. Like she worked with him in Uthodurn and then brought like the supply over to Marquette um, oh. or to uh, you know wherever they are now. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, but but also, um, it, I also it makes sense to me the other way, where it's like you know he did come here and they worked together, um, and just the references to Uthodurn 
include Zadro in that this isn't just like an average customer. This is someone who knows who knows Oldgar, which is why she was so cutting like mm-hmm. immediately after that of like, how do you know him? Um, oh, actually, it's and it's because actually that he he name drops Oldgar, right. whereas in the previous scene she's the one who brings him up. So it's like, oh, these are just average random customers. In the case of Chetney, here's someone coming in mentioning Oldgar. Okay, hang on, what's going on here? And so it it does make sense to me, but it is I am curious as to the backstory there. Was it in Uthodurn? Was it in the Hartmore Hamlet? Um, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I. I think either explanation is possible, but you at least, I liked what you said because that at least makes it make sense for me because while it is possible they both came to the Hartmore together, that just doesn't seem, that just I don't like that as much, <laughs> which that'll probably be what it is. But It is odd if she hates him so much that she would keep his stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, to get like more of his product out there, but I guess, you know, hey, if you're a business owner, you're not, you're not turning away your supply. So. Yeah. <laughs> and. And to me, it just, it makes, and there's no reason for this, but it just makes more sense. The whole, like, you know, you ever get back to Uthodurn and she's like, no. Cause to me, that's like, because I'm trying to get away from him. Yeah. That's how that makes sense to me. So I, I like that maybe she just still had some of his stuff and was trying to sell it, but what is going on? Why they both hate him. Like they were both right. ready to like fight to the death, presumably. Right. So like. <laughs> What I mean, we we talked about maybe it's because you know he disgraced the wooden craft or something. But if if it's not that, like, what is he doing? Is like seems like maybe an abusive, like shop owner or uh, like an uh, you know if they apprenticed under him and he does some dark stuff or maybe he's maybe he has gotten away from woodworking, but it's not as like a punchline as like, Oh, now he uses tin, but maybe it's like he started crafting some dark shit. Like maybe he's using his skills. Yeah. I mean, nefarious purposes. I think it's fair to say this person is probably evil. Um, but the impression I got wasn't so much that like, Hey, there's some real trauma there. Like this is like an evil dude more like this dude sucks. Like, I'm just letting you know, this dude sucks. And so I, I, I put in my mind evil, but also like huge, probably narcissist, like just a terrible douche. And so, you know, that's, that's kind of the route I'm going is like, both of them have worked with this guy. He, you know, probably stole from them, probably threw them under the bus, just an awful, I mean, we all have that person on our life that we're like, I think that person sucks. You know, it's just, that's where my mind goes. It's like, that person sucks. And I assume that's the same for them as, yeah, we met him and we are much worse off having met him. Um, but not, not, not saying, not dissuading you from thinking that he's doing dark stuff or evil stuff. Cause I think also, uh, probably going to be, um, there's going to be some encounter at some point with old Gar, um, an actual encounter maybe. Um, so I think it's both in my mind. Yeah, and I it's interesting you say that you don't think it's trauma because I feel like there was there was some trauma with how they were both. Reacting. I say trauma as in like I don't. Yeah, I mean, I mean, following through with that, I I don't think that they were like abused by Olgar, like Olgar like tried to kill them, for example. But maybe I mean they were both ready to fight. They're both ready to fight at the reference of him. So you know maybe it's maybe it actually is that I don't know. So. There's definitely something interesting going on there, and I'm excited to find out more. 
and yeah. uh, just a little like a not really above the table, but kind of above the table. Um, we know that that Chutney or is based on Chutney. That's kind of where Travis got the inspiration, which is a a Christmas themed one shot. Um, so you know, I, I without spoiling the one shot, you guys definitely got to watch it. But uh, Chutney was uh, like an elf that made toys for Santa, and you know, clearly Chutney is is essentially a toy maker that make toys for Oltgar. So maybe Oltgar is kind of like the Santa relationship, but I know that uh, for those of you that watched four sided dive, they're like talk show. Um, one thing Matt brought up is that like when they were making the characters and stuff and, you know, Travis was talking about kind of remorphing Chutney into Chetney. He was like, I am not making Santa canon. So like, it's not gonna end up being literally Santa. I know some people have been like throwing that out there, but Matt just, you know, made, made that pretty clear that he's like, I'm not bringing that into the canon. Like this is Alexandria is its own thing. That was just a fun Christmas one shot, but it is still interesting to kind of like extrapolate the relationship and wonder if it's like a similar thing happening there. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Cause I mean, stories, I mean, I think this is how Matt does it. It's how I've typically done it, but like backstories and like, you know, future story points are kind of collaboratively created with the player, not future story points, like, but it's, it's based off of those original conversations of like, what's your backstory for important people. And not that it's like fully fleshed out, but I'm assuming there are at least some breadcrumbs, like some important details that like they collaboratively figure out. And then Matt just takes it and runs with it. So, yeah, you know, I think Chetney, I'm assuming Chetney knows like, what has happened in his past with Oltgar. I don't think that he, Travis is just playing off of like, oh yeah, Oltgar sucks, but I have no idea who he is or what he did. But I guess right. that is possible. I guess it is possible, but um, you know. No, I think I he, know I think this, he at least knows why he hates him, but he might not know like the machinations of what Oltgar has been working right. towards or is doing, but you know, I'm sure he does have his own reasons for why that relationship soured. And that's not right you know, just something Matt came up with. that's going to, he'll, he'll reveal to him or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, this the long and the short of it is very curious. I think for my money, it's something darker than just a, a toy making joke. So he broke uh, my chisel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so uh, I'm excited to see. And I mean, seemingly, you know, when he first told us was he was fired. But clearly, I don't think that's the case. I feel like he left because he didn't agree with whatever was happening. And I feel like this so did Zadro. But we'll see, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what else from... Um, so the, uh, the Grim Verity. Yeah, okay. Super cool name. Just yeah, I know. I was actually thinking. I was like, "Dang, that's a good name. I need to, I need to steal that." (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, um, but I can give a quick like recap of it, and then we can talk about it. Uh, But so, this was this organization that the Loomis twins were a part of, and um, as Astani described it, it was this collective of collegiate scholars that dated back about a hundred years that evolved from underclassmen debating theory. And then that just became more. And what they did was like uncovered conspiratorial secrets of history 
um, to a borderline blasphemous degree. And uh, Astani said he was briefly a member. And because of that, like they get, they draw the ire of a lot of people slash organizations. Cause if they're out here, you know, disproving conspiracies, if you will, like that's going to make some people mad. So clearly whatever they were researching about Ruidus and stuff had just drawn the ire of some unknown entity that got them killed. Um, but yeah, I just thought this group was super cool. It's like a, uh, there's not really a good one-to-one comparison, but kind of like, you know, like, like secret detectives that are, you know, uncovering dark secrets of the world or something. I don't know. Like I kind of took like, I mean, I took kind of like a cult implication from it. Oh, you like, think it's like a bad thing? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, cause doesn't Astani basically say like he tried to, he tried to, um, like when the Loomis twins mentioned they become members, he was kind of like, Ooh, I, I don't know about that. Like, I don't know if I would, wasn't he trying to like dissuade them or it's possible. I thought he was just like trying to warn them not oh, to maybe go like poking maybe their like, nose. Yeah. Okay. Where they might draw it, it, heat, but it could be what you're saying. I, as sure. I was watching, I thought it was like, these people have become so obsessed. Like it went from like, Hey, let's talk history. Let's talk like some of these artifacts to now being so like obsessive. And I think that to me, that's also why Astani left because he was a member at one point. Right. And then, and then either he said like it was, you know, he's, those are beyond his days now or something. But so he left and I thought he was saying, you know, for the, the Loomis twins, you know, Hey, like this is a, this group is intense. So be careful, but it also works the way you just, the way you just communicated, like it, this group, because they expose, you know, they find these conspiratorial, they have found these conspiratorial links that maybe simply by association, he was saying, hey, by having your name as on the member list, you are in trouble. Um, yeah. So I, well, I, I can see my, my I'm 70 30 with the former versus the latter, but I don't know. I think it, it could be both, right? Like maybe both are true. Like maybe it is, and maybe that organ, like the Grim Verite has kind of become cultish and maybe they're not, you know, purely, you know, moral and paragons of justice. They might have their, you know, they might be shady as, as well. Um, but I do think that the Grim Verite is definitely going to be drawing the, regardless of their morality is going to be drawing the, the ire of the people they're like exposing. Right. So I think sure. it could be, the heat from both directions, if you will. Um, but yeah, what, what you said makes sense too. And I mean, clearly Istani did say he used to be a member, so we don't really know why he, he stopped. Um, could be because it was getting kind of dark or they're kind of obsessed and crazy or who knows, but I just, that organization is just cool to me. I like the thought of that, uh, being out there in the world. Um, yeah, the name's cool for sure too, but yeah, but it also made me wonder if part of me made me wonder also, like it almost seems like this is kind of a far down the road breadcrumb, like for when they had to, to EOS, but then on the same token, you know, they're sort of going the same path as the Loomis twins, like poking their nose yeah. in this, you know, it, it makes me wonder if we're going to get one of these attacks, uh, in the near future that killed the Loomis twins. Um, which I don't know. I just curious if we're going to have that happen in the near future. 
Maybe that's the impetus that takes them out of Jursar. I don't know. Impetus? Impetus? How do you say that word? I think it's impetus. I don't know, though. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but I think you're right. I mean, I I feel like that's definitely on the table. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they've already appeared on anyone's radar. They've really only talked to Istani, and, you know, she tried to check out that book. But, you know, do they have spies seeing who's check, checking out books? Uh, maybe. But I think if they absolutely if they go to eos and the omen archive i think that'll get them on the radar 100 because i think astani said like it's when they took such a keen interest in that that like i think he even warned them like hey like that's yeah that makes sense to me so i feel like absolutely we could get an attack especially once they go there or if yeah. slash when yeah um but yeah it does i mean the whole Ruidus plotline just feels like the the biggest like story point thus far sure. in the campaign. And I mean, on a it's on a pretty colossal scale, literally as well. If since it's a moon, uh, so maybe we get something that ends up being the even bigger like overarching campaign story. Um, but if not, it does feel like well, if that's the next thing we do, we're kind of progressing pretty quickly on this the main thread. But I mean we don't really have the correct perspective to know like what's, you know, maybe this is just step one of 75 that needs to happen. But anyway, what I'm rambling about is I agree that it does feel like it's kind of maybe a bit in the future, but we also don't really have too much else to potentially go toward right now. But I mean, that could obviously all change within one episode. So I agree with you. This feels like the sort of overarching thread. Um, And I, do feel like we're eventually heading to being on Ruidus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but maybe. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Spelljammer, baby. I think in like a really nice, like rhythmic way, I think there are some really cool tiebacks to campaign one with the um, solstice that you mentioned. And it feels like we're heading towards a seasonal climax that also, it would make sense to also it be tied to all this conversation about Ruidus and, you know, being Ruidus touched and all this kind of like lunar-esque um, conversations that are happening. Um, for me, it it is absolutely like the biggest thread and kind of like the overall driving plot line um, for Exandria as a whole right now. Yeah, so, agreed. And I mean... It, it ties I, back well to Exandria Limited also. Yeah. So. And it's... Excuse me. I, I I think they might go to Ruidus or at least I venture to space because I mean there's yeah. and this is maybe nothing but you know the whole I'm sure you saw the commercials like the the most recent thing D and D put has put out is like this new Spelljammer content and Critical Role even you know had a little commercial for it. So I mean it would make sense you take the biggest property in the space critical role and i mean not that matt is you know taking like hey listening to like uh i don't know what the word would be but i'm sure he's not like putting things in the campaign to like yeah, promote think, yeah. for people I but think of the phrasing either but taking cues from yeah yeah like i'm sure that's not happening yeah, but maybe yeah. it was just like a, a marriage of fate that like happened to work out and you know there's this new D spell jammer content and campaign three happens to be when 
I would imagine there's a happens. lot of cool collaboration that's happening between yeah. Matt and that whole team. And, um, um, yeah, you know, I mean, Wizards, absolutely. Wizards of the Coast, um, I think I called them Forgotten Coast, um, <laughs> Wizards of the Coast. Um, cause even like stuff that's now, you know, simultaneously branded. Um, so yeah, I could see it being more of like, Hey, this is what we're thinking of. What do you think? And then being like, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. It should be like, and kind of like swapping notes. And then Matt taking inspiration from that, um, but I think you're right. I, I don't. I don't take it as, um, you know. Uh, hey, put this in. Hey, Mercer, put in. Uh, put in the spaceships. <laughs> We're running a special in two weeks. Make sure you get this in the next episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a Demogorgon. <laughs> like, wait, what? Speaking of Netflix, Netflix season yeah. four, they uh, <laughs> they uh, this isn't like a spoiler. You saw the trailer, right? Yeah. You know that like the 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 ominous man creature, seemingly big bad guy. Yeah, yeah. they uh, revealed that like that that's gonna be Vecna. Like, cause you know the kids call like the monsters things from D and D. You know, like the demi gorgon. Yeah. So like, They're that's Vecna. Call it Vecna. I think so. So that's kind of fun. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Okay. Um. Yeah, I didn't really have anywhere else to go with that, but just throwing that out there. Yeah. Uh, okay. But yeah. Um, All right. Ruidus feels like the big boy. I mean, I feel like we're going to the moon. I think we already briefly mentioned this, but I think our pixelists canon should be that that moon on our thing is Ruidus. Yeah, of course. Just, we knew all. We knew all along, guys. Yep. That's why we have the moon on here. That's right. So <laughs> we we knew since Foresight. the start. <laughs> So, all right. Well, uh, anything else you want to talk about? Um, I I think we I think we hit it all. Yeah. What about great you? episode for sure? No, no. I I just saying again. I love the episode as usual. Yeah. Well, actually, one tiny thing. Actually, I just saw part of my notes. The 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 stuff in the museum. So we know the the beacon was fake, which is what one of those notes was about, and then the spear, which was the other thing on that note. And the book is clearly fake. I'm still wondering if that means everything was, though. Because my mind still goes back to the Hishari cult mask that pinged as magical when they detected magic. And that just makes me wonder just all about that, especially with the Ashton connection. Like, is I, could that have been real? And is there more I was kind of, yeah. I mean, I like that you said that because I was hoping it was like a a fake out like oh everything's a fake and then something actually is real mm. and it actually makes you wonder if the journal of Vespin Chloras might actually actually be authentic um but yeah i, I don't know i mean i that the hashari armor piece could be real i mean it seems like why fake it i guess especially since it's such from such recent times probably easily acquired um or much easier than other objects but um yeah, I, I like what you're saying there. Like, not just broad brushing, like everything's a fake, but you know, it's a bit of a um, of a uh, red herring, so to speak. Yeah, so. and I mean, they didn't take anything else, so it's not like anything they have is potentially a a relic or anything. But I was just wondering right. about that. Like, for my money, I feel like maybe something was real, and just because I mean, yeah, there was only the invoice for two of those items, so true. You know, who knows? But that that was the last little thing I wanted to throw yeah. out there. What do we do for our thumbnail today? Bro, I actually had an idea, but then I couldn't figure out how to do it. Um, okay. But my idea was going to be to yassify ourselves. 
Oh, but <laughs> I was like, I how would I even do that? And got on this podcast. So, <laughs> so the anti Yassify. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I don't know. You got any ideas? Yeah, I was thinking something to do with like the um, lion torch, like. And I loved how they mentioned because the total vibe I got was um, from campaign one, like the Shh, go to sleep, go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. You know, as like they're pounding on the door and Laura Bailey's like, I don't want to do it again. And Travis is like, hit him again. <laughs> um, so like something to do with that whole scene, I thought would be good. Okay. But I don't know if one of us is like pantomiming on fire. We could do like, like we know. could do like one of us trying to hold the door shut and the other person like in agony, like trying to open the door, maybe like pretending the door is the space between us here. Yeah. Yeah. Let me figure out my best miming of a door. <laughs> Which one do you want to be? Uh, it doesn't matter. I guess you be the agonizer okay. in flames and I'll be the, right, which so side you... by the way is the door for me over here. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you need to bring your hands more back right here. Yeah. But now a little okay. further <laughs> right here. No, 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 the other way. That's way? Like, because you're holding the door, right? Yeah, I was going to be like holding the knob, like, okay, okay, yeah, that one. You're like, you know, okay, you ready? Uh, your hand's a little higher. And then, like, make it pitch. higher or lower? Uh, no, you were good height wise. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Like, okay, that's... okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't tell if I was positioned correctly, but I'm sure it works. Well it doesn't matter. We got it. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in. We so appreciate it. Don't forget, you can follow us on our Twitter at the Pixelists, and uh, we'll have some more content coming to you shortly. Yeah. So. And sorry to be the YouTube person, but the best way you can help us is uh, like, comment, and subscribe. So that would be much appreciated. <laughs> you know it. So we'll catch you later, guys. Bye, y'all. See ya.